I never would have believed it. The Retros does have a mansion. Holy crow, it is raining cats and dogs out there. Oh. Boy, this is an impressive place. Yeah! This is the man in black here. My shadow lord. When I was a kid, we had many special treat places that we went to, that we'd probably go to once a month. One of the ones that we went to, if my grandmother wasn't serving a meal when we were visiting her, was White Castle. The White Castle that we went to bordered my grandmother's neighborhood and had some characters in it. People selling stuff in the parking lot, other weird things. One time I saw a guy take his big overcoat and swoop up a whole bunch of pigeons and then jump in his car and drive away. I don't even know what that meant, and to this day I still think about it. But this is about another guy, and I remember him for two reasons. The first one I'll just tell you about. He came over and was selling watches from inside his coat, and started a conversation with my family, telling them about this watch or that watch. He seemed rather friendly, and was from the area, and I think my mother might have even known him, or thought she did. I don't know what they talked about, but I do remember his voice. His voice sounded sort of like Peter Falk, had that Columbo-esque way of talking. I can't impersonate that right now. That fact would be unimportant, but it comes into play later in this story. We had gone up there the day before Halloween. The next day, it was Halloween, so it was trick-or-treating all day, an amazing haul. And I got home to find out that my mother and sisters were going to be at a friend's house and that my grandmother would be watching me, which is fine. I get home from trick-or-treating, my grandmother's there, sitting at the table doing a crossword puzzle, and the phone rings, so I run over and grab it. The voice on the phone sounds familiar. He asks for my mother, and I say, can I take a message? And then he starts with obscenities that I can't even repeat as an adult, really disturbing stuff. So I hung up the phone. It starts to ring again. My grandmother walks over, picks it up. He hangs up. This happens again and again and again, and all I can hear is that Peter Falk Columbo voice saying these horrible things in my head, and every time the phone rang, I found it more and more difficult to be even in the room. So night continues on. My grandmother says, no big deal. People are weird. She takes the phone off the hook. So we have trick-or-treaters that come. We run out of candy. Then at 10.30, the doorbell rings. Now, I... I'm getting kind of paranoid at this point. So I walk over and sort of look out the window a little, and I notice that it's not a kid, it's some sort of adult, but it's dark out, so I can't see anything. I flip out and run to my grandmother and say, I think the person on the phone is outside. Well, my grandmother said, well, if he's that guy, he could just stay outside. But the doorbell kept ringing. Then they started knocking at the door, and they kept knocking. I am freaking out at this point. 
not sure what to do. I'm thinking, what weapon should I get? Is this guy going to break in? Should I call the cops? The phone's been off the hook. Eventually, the doorbell stops ringing. We sit for a minute, and then it starts again. My grandmother finally says, well, I got to see who this is. I go, wait, let's call somebody first. She goes, all right. We put the phone on the hook, and as soon as it goes on the hook, it rings again. My grandmother picks it up, angrily says some things into the phone, and then pauses. And she says, oh, okay, all right. I have no idea what's going on here. She hangs up the phone, and she says, that's just Joe, our neighbor. Your mom's been calling all night, trying to get through, and she can't get through. So she had Joe come over to see how we were doing. My grandmother went to the door. Joe was there. We let him in. The weird dude with that voice never called back. I brought this up to my mother. She's not sure how he got our number unless she really knew him. And he just looked us up in the phone book. A week later, we got an unlisted number. And I had to memorize a new phone number for the first time in my life. It was a pretty scary Halloween. And unfortunately, it kind of ruined my appreciation for Peter Falk because every time I saw him on television, all I could think of was this violent pervert calling me on Halloween. While it scared me, Candy made it all better, and a few weeks later I'd forgotten all about it. But still, on Halloween, when the phone rings and I'm alone, I hesitate a moment. Should I pick it up? Will it be Pervert Columbo? Then I pick it up, and it's usually a wrong number. Halloween has many great memories for many of us. On today's show, some of the regulars on the Retro site and podcast are going to share some of their Halloween memories. Some of them are scary, some of them are funny, but I think you'll enjoy all of them. We have a lot of great Halloween stories ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
kids come to your house this Halloween, you could probably identify what they are because Halloween costumes have gotten a lot more sophisticated. But that wasn't always the case. Now with a memory and details of Halloween costumes of yore is Vinvectrix. I grew up in a household in the 70s and early 80s that I would describe as moderately enthusiastic about Halloween. We had a few decorations we hung in the windows, but nothing too elaborate. We did take our candy distributing obligations pretty seriously, and we always had lots of top-tier candy bars to hand out. In fact, there was such a variety of candy in the house that it changed my focus on trick-or-treating to enjoying the process more than caring about the loot. The one area that never received too much attention was costumes. My parents never dressed up. My sister and I typically got our costumes at Woolworths. The costumes came in boxes that contained a thin plastic mask and a vinyl jumpsuit. These boxed costumes were made by brands like Ben Cooper, and I'm not sure you can even find costumes like these anymore. It seems that modern kids' costumes are far more elaborate. The mask that came with these box costumes covered just the front of your face. It typically had cutouts for the eyes and a small slit for the mouth. If you happened to be dressed as Darth Vader or C-3PO, you could pretty much tell by the mask who you were supposed to be. But if you were supposed to be human, like the $6 million man or Captain Kirk, then the vinyl costume became essential. You see, the vinyl jumpsuit didn't have Captain Kirk's gold shirt. It had a picture of Captain Kirk and a caption with his name. Presumably, this was to help adults identify your costume, so you weren't asked the awkward, now, what are you supposed to be? The problem with this type of costume was that I grew up in Denver, and the Halloween weather was often unpredictable. That meant my mother insisted we wear a coat while trick-or-treating. So, if you put a big parka over the vinyl costume with the important description, you end up with a lot of puzzled adults answering the door. Fortunately, most of the other kids were in the same boat, except those with fancier homemade costumes. The brilliant kids managed to incorporate their coats into their costumes. It eventually dawned on me that this was not the way things worked for most kids when I saw the movie E.T. In that movie, the kids, along with the title character, were out trick-or-treating and weren't all bundled up. That seemed harder to believe to me than the alien. So any parents that are listening, let me implore you. Even if it's cold where your kids are trick-or-treating, try to come up with a solution that doesn't involve your child having to explain who they are supposed to be at every door they stop at. I miss those costumes from when I was a kid, and I especially miss when kids had their own Halloween makeup kits and would try to do something with their face. It was very unsophisticated often, but sometimes the creations could be the most creative you've seen. Hear how a movie-based costume really can make a Halloween special as Atari Adventure Square shares with you the magic of a Dick Smith horror makeup kit. The year Stanley Kubrick's The Shining came out, I was too young to go see it, too old to go trick-or-treating, but just the right age to blend my passions for horror and dressing up with the help of one of the coolest gifts I ever had, the Dick Smith Horror Makeup Kit. Local school was having a Halloween party as a charity drive, so I became Jack Torrance for the party. I took my cues from the novel, and also from Jack Nicholson's take on a caretaker, who I saw limping axe in hand in TV trailers, and from an article in Fangoria magazine, which had a wonderfully creepy cover image of him giving readers the Kubrick stare. With some creative license, I monstered up my face a bit, with the makeup kit's molds of very realistic uh, scars and facial alterations, adding a deep scar in my forehead as an axe wound and a bullet hole to the side of my head. I showed up early at the party with my gooey face, my fake axe, and a personalized styrofoam headstone, which was requested for a shindig. 
I just stood hunched in a quarter, axe in both hands, as more kids arrived. After the party started kicking with the sounds of late 70s hits, I, I felt too introverted to move about. A few princesses and vampires walked by, looking fearfully yet intrigued at my oozing forehead. One masked partygoer felt genuinely sorry for me and was convinced I was making the best out of a nasty permanent scar, though he seemed to be looking at a bullet wound, which kind of looked like acne gone critical under the blacklight. I thanked him and smiled, elated that Mr. Dick Smith had transformed his horror fan into a novice makeup artist. Inspired by my infamy, I went to the dance floor and flailed about in an attempt to boogie. Unable to dance like a normal person, I instead found my headstone among the lot and gleefully flung my axe into it, cracking it into pieces. After this impromptu mayhem, I went back to boogieing by bobbing up and down, like I imagined Jack Torrance would do in this situation. I got tapped on the shoulder and turned to see two adult supervisors of this affair. I froze, smiling, and heard them express concern about the violence towards the scenery. I explained it was my own headstone that got terminated, and it was just a momentary burst of play acting. They seemed to hear me, but kept staring at my forehead, at which point I extolled the greatness of the Dick Smith Horror Makeup Kit and the marvels of the appliances and ingredients. They were pleased about my enthusiasm and seemed relieved I was not about to axe anything or anybody with my sawed-off hockey stick. They left after asking to tone down the use of the axe, which worked out well because I was getting the hang of bobbing to the disco. The following week, I heard, come see this, from the kitchen, and opened a weekly newspaper to find my hunched figure in mid-bob, smiling, both hands holding the axe, in an article about the sponsored party. It was pretty unreal. The caption read, good thing this character was in a good mood. Thanks to Dig Smith and his makeup kit, I had been. But if they only knew, my character, Undead Jack, also smiled like a madman as he splintered doors open. The Shining really is a good idea for a costume, especially for a kid. Very sophisticated. And real scary. Hopefully when you're out this year for Halloween, you'll take advantage of the many Halloween haunts out there. And of course help to contribute to the Halloween economy. Here with a chilling tale of Halloween haunts and the macabre is Kevin the Zerbinator with Mr. Hubbard's Ghost. Mr. Hubbard was going on his 50th year performing as the ghost in the woods at the Halloween Haunt Spectacular. His job was to swoop from tree to tree about 15 feet above the ground on cables that he attached to himself and the trees. Then he would slowly walk back and forth in front of the black lights to reveal his white tattered clothing and his white tattered hair. When Hubbard started 50 years ago, all he had to work with was a sheet, a lamp, some rope, and some really good imaginations from the guests. He started when he was 17 years old on October 30th, 1962, and he loved his contribution, and everyone truly enjoyed his performance. Everyone. Until 1998. That was the first year that eight-year-old Billy came through and saw Mr. Hubbard and yelled, That ain't scary, it's just some doof in a costume. The words didn't bother Mr. Hubbard. It was what followed. Billy chucked a big piece of wood at Mr. Hubbard, knocking him down to the ground. Everyone in the line started laughing when they saw a ghost fall over from being hit. Of course, this hurt Hubbard's noggin more than his self-esteem. And for the next 11 years, Billy kept coming through trying to taunt Mr. Hubbard every single time that he came close to his section. But Mr. Hubbard was always watching not to get clunked in the head again by this bully. He would never let this fool ruin his ghostly performance again. Turning 67, Mr. Hubbard was considering to retire from this Halloween event. He was so happy to play the part of a ghost for so many years, and he enjoyed watching the children scream and point at him as he swooped from tree to tree hiding in the night. He felt he was a living tradition, but he was tired, 
and his legs and his arm hurt from all the swooping over the years. So he decided 50 years would be just fine. He could live with that. It was October 30th, 50 years to the day, as he set out to perform his final ghostly role. He started at the left side of the woods and swooped from tree to tree as the children came through his section. They screamed and pointed in fear, just the way Mr. Hubbard liked it. What a way to end the season, he thought. He swooped to the right side of the woods, only to see someone laying down on the ground in front of the black lights. Hubbard went to check to see if the man was okay, and when he looked up, he saw Billy, now 20 years old, being carried off in handcuffs. Confused, Mr. Hubbard looked over to see parents and children crying as they pointed at the man on the ground. He picked up the rock that laid next to the man's head. Mr. Hubbard felt his own temple to reveal the gash where the rock had hit him. He dropped the rock and slowly walked over to the tree and sat down. I feel no pain, he said. Why stop now? It was now Halloween night, and the Halloween Hot Spectacular went on to perform again with a giant sign that read, In Honor of Old Mr. Hubbard. There were people lined up as far back as the entrance coming to visit out of respect. You should have heard them scream and point as they saw his ghost swooping from tree to tree. Only this time, there were no strings attached. That is some scary stuff. But, of course, not all Halloweens are scary. Some are moments of triumph as we'll hear from Doug in a surprising tale about a Halloween piñata. We typically think of Halloween as a dark time, and it is. But it is also a light time. The ancients understood this. They understood that at Halloween there might be predictions of deaths, but there also could be predictions of marriages and births. This is something I have also experienced myself. I experienced it when I was in middle school. Middle school for me was 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. I'm guessing this happened while I was in the 7th grade, while I was in the middle of my middle school years. There were two classes in my 7th grade, but on this particular day, the Friday before Halloween, those two classes had been combined, all the students brought together for our Halloween celebration. Our studies had been dismissed that afternoon, and we instead engaged in Halloween activities, Halloween snacks, Halloween videos, and finally, a Halloween piñata. Now, a piñata may not seem all that Halloweenish to you, and it really wasn't to me. A piñata may be a part of Halloween in some cultures, but it wasn't really in the Ohio culture. Nonetheless, I had never done a piñata before. I wanted to do one. And I was very excited about this piñata, this green donkey piñata that our teachers brought out at the end of our Halloween party. So all the students were lined up single file to get their shot at the piñata. And I found myself somewhere in the middle of that line. While I waited in line for my chance to take my shots at this green donkey, I discovered that there was a desire growing inside of me. A desire to achieve. A desire to accomplish. A desire to put a hurtin' on this green donkey. I wanted to damage this piñata. And I'm not exactly sure why that was. I was never the most ambitious guy. I was never the most competitive guy. But on that day, I wanted to damage that piñata. And it didn't look like I was going to get to because the students before me didn't. Very few of the students before me even made contact with the donkey. And those that did, didn't hurt it that badly. Finally, it was my turn. I was brought up to the teachers, they blindfolded me, they spun me around, they put a big wooden dowel rod in my hands, and I just swung. That's all I remember doing. I don't remember aiming, I don't remember thinking, I just remember swinging. In the mid part of that swing though, the business part of the swing, I felt something. 
I felt contact and I heard a loud crack and then all the students and some of the teachers went ooh and I knew what had happened I knew I had hit and hurt the pinata I was so excited that I ripped off my blindfold I wasn't supposed to do that you're supposed to keep your blindfold on for all three swings but I ripped mine off to see what I had done and there on the ground before me were a couple of pieces of candy a couple of pieces of confetti and one green donkey leg I had knocked a leg off of the pinata and apparently I weakened the pinata as well because the students who came after me did a whole lot better than the students who were before me they all began to hit the pinata to damage the pinata and when all was said and done a lot of the students went home with a lot of candy I didn't though I went home with that green donkey leg I took that leg home as a trophy of my victory that day and I've often looked back on that victory and wondered how it came to be. How was it that I, who was among the smaller of the students, among the least athletic of the students, among the least ambitious of the students, how was it that I managed to damage that pinata when nobody else did? And all I can figure is that it is due to the light side of the Halloween holiday, to the magic that is possible on Halloween. I had a pinata when I was a kid came straight from Mexico. I loved that thing. It was supposed to be used for my birthday, but I refused to let them hit it. So they hung it up and I made them hollow it out and I kept it. I found it recently in my mom's basement. It had fallen under the workbench and moisture had taken it out. Poor thing. At least I got the treats out before they put it under there. So his death was not in vain. And he lived a pretty long life as far as pinatas go. Well, I hope that this Halloween you've already gone out and gotten your trick-or-treating candy for all those kids that are going to come to your house, which brings us to the part of the show where we start talking about trick-or-treating. And we'll start off with Rob O'Hara, who has a story about the last time he went trick-or-treating and begs the question, how old is too old to go trick-or-treating? Greetings and salutations, listeners. Flack here with a quick story about the last time I ever went trick-or-treating door-to-door. In the state of Oklahoma, you can get your motorcycle driver's license at the age of 14. Living just outside the city limits, I grew up riding motorcycles and go-karts, three-wheelers and four-wheelers, so when I turned 14, I got my motorcycle's driver's license. My friend Lewis had a motorcycle driver's license as well, and so naturally the two of us spent a lot of time together riding around town on our motorcycles. In 1988, uh, I guess I had just turned 15 and Lewis was almost 16, the two of us decided to go trick-or-treating. Now, originally, we had considered going as Bob and Doug McKenzie, but because we were worried no one would recognize who we were, we changed our minds at the last minute and decided to go as the Blues Brothers. The evening of Halloween, Lewis came over on his motorcycle, and he's wearing a black trench coat and a white Panama Jack-style hat, and has his face painted like a skeleton. He didn't look like one of the Blues Brothers at all, and unfortunately my costume wasn't any better. I was wearing a blue denim blazer and my dad's fedora that I think he himself bought a few years earlier when Indiana Jones had just come out. And even if the two of us had been wearing name tags that said Jake and Elwood Blues, I don't think anybody would have recognized who we were supposed to be. I mean, seriously, skeleton makeup? So the plan was for the two of us to trick-or-treat my neighborhood, and then if there was enough time, to go trick-or-treat Lewis's. But for some reason I got so embarrassed by our stupid costumes that I didn't want anybody that knew us to actually see us. So the two of us hopped on our motorcycles, in costume, and drove to the next neighborhood over. And once we got there, we parked our motorcycles and began trick-or-treating there. 
by the way, if you ever have to use the words, we parked our motorcycles before trick-or-treating, you're probably too old to be doing it. That's actually the conclusion we came to after about three houses. Another sign you might be too old to trick-or-treat is that if you have a job, and you can buy your own candy. And Lewis and I both had part-time jobs at that point, so we decided buying our own candy would be a lot less humiliating than what we were trying to do, and so we called it a night. And until I had kids, that was the last time I ever went door-to-door trick-or-treating. I love the idea of kids trick-or-treating on motorbikes. There's something very 80s movie about that. You can picture the sort of gang of kids stealing candy on motorcycles and then these two outsiders who go trick-or-treating and then get chased through the woods. Perhaps one of them turns into a werewolf. Ugh. Speaking of movies and Halloween, in the story from Vic Sage, we'll learn that the right costume can make all the difference as he shares a memorable tale of trick-or-treating, bravery, fear, and of course, kidnapping. One of the most memorable trick-or-treating experiences that I can recall happened back in 1980. In my youth, my father had always drove me around the neighborhoods of our town. That way, if he didn't like the look of a certain house, he could be sure that I wouldn't visit it. But in 1980, I was invited by my cousins, Brandon and Ashley, to go trick-or-treating with them. They lived about four hours away from me, which to an eight-year-old seems like a great distance. My cousins and I have always been very close, so I agreed to go with my grandparents to visit them on Halloween. That year had seen the release of Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, and as soon as I saw the Boba Fett costume, I knew I was going to go as the galaxy's most feared bounty hunter. During the drive, I could hardly sit still. I was just so jazzed to show Brandon my costume, and as we got to their house, it was getting dark. After we kids settled down and the grown-ups finished with their pleasantries, it was time to get down to business. Brandon went to his bedroom to put on his costume while I began to change into mine in the living room. He opened his door and rushed out just as I was sliding the elastic banded mask down. Now, there were two Boba Fetts standing in the living room. I would later find out it was very much a Mandalorian Halloween in that neighborhood. I think Brandon and I probably saw 10 to 15 other Boba Fetts. Ashley is a couple of years younger than us, and she ended up wearing a Barbie costume and mask. Then, we three were released into the Halloween night with words of caution and reminders to only visit houses with their porch lights on. Oh, one other piece of advice. We were supposed to keep an eye out on Ashley. Guess which piece of advice we ignored. Brandon and Ashley's neighborhood was vastly bigger than those in my neck of the woods. We were easily trick-or-treating for three hours. And though our bags were filled and quite heavy, the siren's call of more candy compelled us to keep at it. I would also like to say we had noticed that we lost Ashley a couple hours earlier, but that would be a lie. We turned a corner, and ahead of us under a streetlight was a sobbing Barbie. There were three older boys, probably ten or eleven, pushing her around and laughing. Brandon and I stopped in our tracks, and as one, we yelled and rushed towards them. I sometimes wonder what it must have looked like to those older boys. I like to think the sight of two screaming Mandalorians swinging bags full of candy filled those jerks with fear. It's more likely they were worried our caterwauling would bring adults into the situation. As a final act of defiance, the boys stole Ashley's bag of candy, threatening to beat us up later in the night. Brandon and I may have resembled Boba Fett, but we knew it was time to retire for the evening, 
Brandon grabbed his sister by the hand and we all but flew back to their house. As we got further and further from the scene of the bullying, Ashley started to get hysterical. Brandon kept us at a steady pace, though, back to the house, promising we would share our candy haul with her so she didn't need to cry. We got back to their house, and our family was on the porch. They were quite upset. Standing between my grandmother and aunt was Ashley. All time seemed to stop as the realization sunk in. Brandon turned and lifted off the Barbie mask of who we thought was Ashley. Yeah, he had no idea who the sobbing and now quite hysterical little girl we kidnapped was. Thankfully, my aunt was able to get her to calm down and we were able to get her back home. Her parents were more relieved than angry when we arrived at their door. We even avoided spankings for not watching out for Ashley more closely. Oh, Maybe we weren't as tough or brave as Boba Fett, but we did keep our promise to that little girl. We did share our candy haul. And that is the most memorable trick-or-treating experience that I can recall. The Holy Grail of Costumes, Boba Fett. Great stuff from Vic. Often, for the Halloween special, I've tried to tie it together with a story. This Halloween and Halloween special, I'm taking it down a notch, and I'm just going to try to relax. Halloween, with its moodiness can be a great time to spend with friends and family. So I suggest you do the same thing. Rent yourself some movies. Make sure you've loaded up your treat bowls. I know all I'm going to do is sit back and relax. Uh Uh-oh. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. You can also follow him on Facebook at facebook.com slash peachypixel8. Pixel with the number 8. Thanks to Vic Sage, who is a regular contributor to The Retroist. You can see a lot of Vic Sage's work on The Retroist daily. Thanks to Rob O'Hara. You can find a lot of his work on The Retroist. You can also find him on his own website, robohara.com. Thanks to the great seeker of keys, Atari Adventure Square, for his great contribution. If you're on The Retroist on any regular basis, you will find Atari Adventure Square doing his thing there. Thanks to Doug McCoy for his contribution. For more posts from Doug, check out The Retroist. Or if you want to check out his books, yes, Doug has written books, you can find them at authordougmccoy.com. While there, you should also check out his podcast, Found Footage Films. Thanks to the great Vin Vectrix, Retroist author, site regular, for his contribution. For more of Vin Vectrix's work, just look for some of the most popular posts on The Retroist. He has a great section of Vectrix-reviewed games, hence Vinvectrix. See, it all works out. Thanks to the Zerbinator from the great escape pods at Zerbinator Land. For more information about Zerbinator and his work, you can check back on the Retros podcast. He is about to become a regular contributor there. And you can also check out his website, zerbinator.wordpress.com. I hope everybody has a safe and happy Halloween. Thank you for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great spooky holiday season.
my voice is horrible. This has been a Retro's production. Goodbye.